Stop your crying, everyone. Yeah. Settle down. Yeah. It's okay. T- t- take a moment. Hit yep. pause. Hello, everybody. I'm Barry Ligo. With me is Morgan Baden, and this is Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, publishing, parenthood, and marriage. Welcome back. How you doing, Morgan? I'm good. How are you, birthday boy? Uh, no, my birthday is over. It is. You're 364 day. days early. <laughs> so we are recording on Saturday night, and uh, we've just eaten some pizza, and we are ready to talk. We are. So before we get started, I wanted to talk about something from last week, okay. which is we talked about the fact that you finished revising your book, and that I had read it, yep. and that... You were looking forward to what happens next, but uh, we never talked about what I thought of your book. Right. And we we did that because I finished reading it, and then we had to record the show, so we didn't have time to talk about it. We did go and sit down and talk about it as soon as we stopped recording. Yeah. But I didn't want people to think that we mentioned you'd finished it, and I had read it, and then we said nothing else. And <laughs> this is so bad. Or that this was like a sore up, point yeah. between us or something <laughs> like that. No, I read it. I loved it. I think it's great. I think it's wonderful. I hope somebody is smart enough to pay you a lot of money to publish it. <laughs> Thanks. So do you want to give us an update on where you stand with that? Because I did have sure. a couple of small comments. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it was great. Your comments were really, really helpful. Um, you did, obviously, some, some regular copy editing stuff, but... Uh, more importantly, there were three, I think, spots towards the end where um, you had some really great insights about things I needed to think about a little bit more. And so I did. It took another few days, um, and I made changes, and I thought about things more. I uh, I edited a significant chapter towards the end and re- showed that to you again. Yeah. And... Um, and I think you thought that was improved as well. Yeah. Based oh, on yeah, our definitely. Conversation. So, yeah. So that was great. So the book is done. It is done. I have sent it to a couple of agents so far. Yes, already. Excellent. Yeah. Um, it was funny, though. Uh, you know, once you finish the book, it is time to tackle the query letter. And we, we talked a little bit about this last week. But we did. I found this query letter to be really challenging this yeah. time around. Yeah. And today I was struggling with it while uh, Leia's grandmother was playing with her in the other room, which was nice. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. We, we, we had a grandmother in the house. Uh-huh. As so, we have uh, said before on this show, grandmothers save parents' lives. Yep. And, so during yeah. the daytime hours, I was able to work for a little bit. And I was really struggling with this query letter. So you very kindly came in and said... Let me see what you have. And I showed you. I had like 17 different versions. You had like all these openings. I did. You had had all these different opening paragraphs. Yeah. Um, And I kept getting caught up in the middle because I I just started giving too much detail. You don't want to give too much detail. Right. Anyway, so uh, you read them and and then you said, can I do something real quick? And you sat down at your own own computer. Which is on the other side of the office from yours. The massive office. Yeah. Yeah. And you wrote it. You wrote a query letter. <laughs> and then you said, come see how this is. <laughs> um, but, uh, and it was great, by the way. And well, I thank you. used most of it and just Wait, edited. most of it? Yes, just most of it. Um, but I, I rephrased some things and, and cut some things you out. changed and... my words? <laughs> you know how that feels. No, I don't. Nobody <laughs> changes my words. Anyway, but you said someone has done that for you before. Yeah, I, it's funny because I didn't think about it until the moment when I was looking at your, you know, four or five aborted attempts <laughs> to, to write a query letter that I remembered that back in the day for me, when the time came to write a query for Fanboy and Goth Girl, now I never ended up using it, uh-huh. 
as we've talked about in the past, but I was working on one because I thought I would. And I just couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. The synopsis part was, you know, the hi, my name is blah, blah. And I've written a book. And then the ending of here are my credits. Yeah. That stuff's easy. Yeah. But the, the part where you're explaining the book as quickly as possible, but also as sexily as possible is really tough. So a friend of mine, a good friend of mine who had read the manuscript said, let me take a crack at it and wrote three paragraphs that just succinctly summarized the book threw out all the stuff I didn't need. And I tweaked it a little bit and I had it and it was great. And so, yeah, when I saw your attempts today, I thought, Oh, right. Somebody else should do this part. (laughs) And I just, I sat down and I I knocked it out. Yeah. (laughs) So that was awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so yeah, so I sent out my first query tonight. Great. Insert cheering here. (laughs) And I emailed it yesterday, the day before to, uh, uh, an agent who had read a few versions of it earlier and didn't seem to quite close the door on it. So I wanted to make sure that person saw it as well. So here, so here we go. I'm off. Great. I'm great. Off to the races. So we expect by the next show that, Big news uh, now. that you'll have sold it. <laughs> that's Speaking... the, by the way, that's the, the interesting and frustrating thing about queries is that they're part of the publishing industry, which yep. means they take a very long time. So. Yep. Like as axiom. Yes. Everything takes three times longer than you think it should. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, of our next show, uh, brief programming note, just to yeah. let people know, there will be no podcast next week. Mm-hmm. I regret to inform you. Don't, stop your crying, everyone. Yeah. Settle down. Yeah. It's okay. T- t- take a moment. Hit yeah. pause. Hit pause. Take a moment. Collect yourselves, for God's <laughs> sake. Turn the show back on. Yeah, I'm going to be traveling, and we were trying to figure out how to do it while I'm away, and, and uh, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So we figured, you know what, we're just going to skip a week. Uh-huh. And uh, but we will be back the week after that. We promise. <laughs> so, so you are out with a a, a manuscript now, yeah. which is wonderful. And uh, of course, we hope you will sell it. But according to the Authors Guild, you're not going to make any money. Right. Apparently, there has been a uh, there's a story that's floating around now. Publishers Weekly covered this. The Authors Guild conducted a survey of authors and found that. Uh, it was their first survey since 2009, and they found that average incomes for authors have dropped. Wow. And that the majority of authors, if all they did was write, would be below the poverty line. Now, there's a lot to talk about yeah. with this. You know, we could question the methodology. I mean, it was only guild members. And, you know, when you join the Authors Guild, a lot of times you're joining it. For health insurance. For health insurance. A lot of times you're joining it because you're early in your career and you're looking for networking or for advice or, you know, they have free contract help and stuff like that. So we could talk about all that, but... Have you ever joined it? Yeah, I was in for a while. I I had the health insurance. I I joined it for the health insurance and I was in for a few years until I I married somebody who had good health insurance. (laughs) (laughs) But it's interesting because the majority of the respondents were older. Okay. Something like 89% of them were over 50. Okay. And uh, and were 64% of them were traditionally published as opposed to self-published. So, again, we could quibble about the methodology and talk about the sample size and things like that. But it's a really, really interesting study, I think. And it, it bears out sort of what anecdotally I've heard yeah. <laughs> talking to people that it seems like people are just making less money yes. than, than a few years ago. Yeah. And that's something we should talk about, I think. I it think is. that's that's interesting. And, you know, the, the guild's 
conclusion from this was that that royalties need to go up. Mm-hmm. Royalty rates need to go up. Royalty rates are too low. Authors can't make a living. And royalty rates are set by the publishers. And royalty rates are set by the publishers. Agents can negotiate them and uh-huh. sometimes move them. You know, my agent has moved some of my royalty rates in the past, gotten me better rates. Um, you know, we, we should also say money and authors is a really complicated topic. A lot of people aren't aware of how it works at all, how authors make money. Again, you know, my typical rant, they watch TV or they see a movie about authors and they just assume, oh, money just comes in Brinks trucks. Right. It's not like that. I actually wrote a blog post many years ago about how authors make money. It's really good. We'll, we'll put a, it. We'll yeah. put a link to that in the show notes rather than go over it. It's. I mean, I again, I work in publishing, yeah. and a bunch of people ask all the time. Wait, how how right. do you pay people again? What's the process? The, so. the the short version, just so that we have common ground set. to yeah. talk about, is that a percentage of the price of the book goes to the author, mm-hmm. and. Another percentage goes to the publisher. The publisher, by far, gets the larger percentage. Uh, Just off the top of my head, average royalty rates, depending on so many factors, but just anywhere from 8 to 15% of the price of a hard copy book uh, would go to the author, meaning anywhere from uh, 85% to 92% of the price of that book. Now realize somewhere in there is the wholesaler and the retailer. So the, the publisher is probably getting 85% of 50% of the cost of the book, but that's still greater than between eight and 15%. Is this similar to how the music industry is set up? Do you know? It is. Yeah. I mean, it's a similar system. I don't know about the numbers and the distribution, but yeah, I remember this is actually pretty interesting considering the state of self-publishing right now, but yeah. I was a really big Ani DeFranco fan in college and in high school who wasn't, it was the late nineties. So, um, and she independently produced all of her own albums. Right. And I actually don't know if this is true or if this is just what the Ani community said. And it, it just became like a, a myth that stuck around. But from what we heard, Ani made more money on her music than someone like Dave Matthews did. Right. Because, you know, Sony or whoever Dave right. Matthews assigned to took the, the bulk of his money. Yeah. Um, but Ani had no one to pay except herself. Right. And, you know, so anyway, so like per sit, per unit, Ani made more money than, right. than a big musician. So, and, what, and it's funny what it, self-published authors What it too. boils down to is if you spend $10 on a book, the author is probably getting around a dollar. Yeah. Maybe a dollar fifty. The publisher is probably getting... Figure five dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, ebooks are even worse. Ebooks authors get twenty five percent, but that's of the net price. So, in other words, um, it sounds great. Oh, twenty five percent, not fifteen percent. But ebook prices are lower in general, uh-huh. and it's of the net, which means the price that the publisher sells it to the store for. So, if the ebook costs ten dollars, which most don't, but it's say the ebook costs ten dollars, you're not getting twenty five percent of ten dollars. You're getting twenty five percent of whatever the publisher gets from the bookstore. Okay. So, if the publisher sells it to the bookstore for five dollars, and then the bookstore sells it for ten dollars, which please don't write in. I know that's not accurate. I'm just <laughs> using it as an example. It's an easy figure. Then you're going to get twenty five percent of five, not twenty five percent of ten. Okay. So. That's generally how authors get paid. And the Authors Guild is saying, look, there are a lot of authors who would be below the poverty line if they didn't have second jobs. And publishers should step up and raise royalty rates Uh to make up for this. How long have royalty rates been where they're at now? 
beats the living hell out of me. I mean, it, you know, my royalty rates have fluctuated within, you know, within a a very small range since I started in this business Mm -hmm. 10 years ago. I know so much of this is so hard to talk about because it's so individual. It really is. And you know, I'm, you know, Stephen King, who I know listens to this podcast is laughing (laughs) because his royalty rate is so much higher than mine, but, but really, I mean, you know, depending on the format of the book, depending on so many different factors between eight and 15%, with with the understanding that twenty five percent of net is for ebooks, that that seems to be average. Okay, that seems to be a pretty average deal. And I'm not I'm not again I'm not sure about the methodology of this study. I think when you look at so many authors, so many of them are over fifty. I think that's sort of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that if you're not making a living at it at that point, it just feels like it's something you did sort of later in life. And so maybe you're starting out, you know, I don't know. I don't know. But again, this jives with what I have heard from other people, which is that their income is down. Yeah. Incomes have gone down. And this is, this is a podcast about writing and publishing and it's something to talk about. And it's complicated to talk about for a lot of reasons because well, one of which for me personally is that I happen to know that, you know, I, I've had like five publishers and I happen to know that people who work for two of them, at least two of them, listen to this show. <laughs> so it's difficult for me to talk about of this course. stuff sometimes. I don't want them to think I'm talking about them. So whoever is listening to this show from any of my publishers, assume I'm talking about all the other publishers. <laughs> but I do think, you know, I have been thinking for a while now that royalty rates seem sort of sort of unbalanced. Okay. Because the way I see it, I don't have a problem with the publisher getting a larger percentage of the book than me. And I know a lot of people are sort of horrified when they hear the publisher gets more money because they're like, well, where would the publisher be if you didn't write the book? You should get more money. And that seems like a very reasonable, logical argument. But the publisher is taking a gamble. The publisher is taking a risk by publishing your book. Right. And outlaying money. They're they're putting a lot of money out front. Even if they give you a very small advance, there's still all sorts of sunk costs that they have to to deal with. And there's still staff salaries. That's what I mean, yeah. Uh So, So they're taking a big gamble. So I don't have a problem with them getting more money from each book that is sold than me. I do think that it's a little unbalanced, though. I do think royalties should be higher. One of the reasons I think that, quite frankly, is because the way I see it, they're getting more money because they're taking more risk, but also they have more responsibility. There are things they're supposed to do that I can't do because I'm just a guy sitting in his room writing a book, right? But they have a whole infrastructure in place. They have a sales team, marketing team, publicity team, social media team. They have all these people, you know, IT departments. They have all this stuff. They are supposed to do things that I cannot do. And in return, I say, sure, take more money. Right. They don't always do that. Right. And that can be frustrating. There have been times in the past where I have said, hey, guys, what if we did this? And it's not it's not even something that is just to benefit me or just my book. It's something that is a very simple thing that, if done, could help a lot of people, a lot of authors. And I've heard a lot of times, oh, we don't know how to do that. Or, you know, we don't do that. Or things like that. Nobody has ever said to me, Barry, that's a bad idea. We don't like that idea. Now, maybe they're just being nice to me. I don't know. But nobody's ever said that. It's always couched in terms of, we don't know how to do that. We don't understand how to do that. 
or my favorite, we don't do that. So and the my... issue right there, though, is, by the way, I bet those answers would be very different if you are if you were being published by small independent houses. That could be. Yeah. That could be. Or if my name were John Green or right, Stephen right, King yeah, yeah. or, you know, yeah. something like that. But it's just, you know, as someone who has exclusively worked at large corporations. Sure. You can't, there are things that you just cannot change. Sure. It could be sure. the single greatest idea in the world. Sure. It's not going to change. Yeah. My feeling, though, is if you cannot change things that are helpful to the authors, what are we paying you for? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I'm sympathetic to we're a big corporation. We're, we're, we're a tanker, not uh-huh. a speedboat. I get that. I'm sympathetic to that. But at the end of the day, that doesn't help me. You know, and the publisher ideally is trying to help the author. So this sort of ties in with something else that I've been thinking about, which is something for authors to think about. Are your publisher's goals aligned with your goals? Which might sound weird because you might think, well, we all want to sell books and make money, right? So yeah, our goals are aligned, but that's not necessarily the case. I mean, yes, your publisher wants to sell copies of your book and make money, but are they interested specifically in pushing you and promoting you as a brand? Or are they just interested in, well, we bought this book for X, and as long as we make a multiple of X back, we're happy, and we don't care if we continue to push this person. And the short answer is it depends. The short answer, it is. absolutely, yeah. it depends on so many yeah. factors, but it's something to think about. It is These about. are all things to think about because when the, you're an the author. The truth is, there are simply a lot of bookshelves that need to be filled. Yep. And so publishers purchase a lot of books for which the sole purpose is not the sole, the sole goal I should say is not turning this author into a superstar. Right. It's filling this hole. It's filling this hole. It's werewolf book books are big. We should have a werewolf book or 10 or 10 Uh and they put out the book. And again, their goal is not to make Joe author who wrote the werewolf book, a big star. The Uh goal is to have a foothold in that in that market. In that yeah. market. And if it takes off, great. But if not, at least they filled a hole yeah. in their in their list. So it's just these are things for authors to think about. Yeah. You know, because this is a this is a business of relationships. And we become friends with the people that we work with, but we have to remember it is a business. And so yeah, I mean I think I, I I do think that royalties need to be revisited. It's a tough thing to talk about because the publishers will say, we're barely hanging on by a thread. And, you know, but it's something that needs to be talked about. But how do you think, I mean, what can authors do? I how mean, does it change like author, that? Can make- authors can't do anything. Authors have to talk to their agents. Yeah. And their agents have to negotiate keep and, have, and keep negotiating yeah. and keep pointing out the iniquities and things like that. And, and hopefully things get changed. Uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to make these changes. The good and the bad is that once they're made, they tend to lock in, Mm -hmm. you know? So like if, if, you know, the bottom royalty rate went, went from 8% to 9%, then it's probably not going to drop back down again. So that's good. The tough thing is it could take 50 years to get it from, uh, hopefully not, but to get it from eight to 9%. So that's, that's the tough part. It, it's difficult. It really is difficult. You know, so the PW survey or the PW article um, was for writers. I'd really be curious to see a similar sort of survey for agents. I'm very curious. I am very curious to see 
if agents are feeling the bite. You know, agents yeah. agents have have diversity in their client lists. Hopefully, if they're smart, and they you know they have multiple clients. Yeah. So if one client is seeing a decline in sales, hopefully another client's picking up in sales, and they can make up for it that way. But yeah, I would be curious to see if if agents are also seeing a decline in income mm-hmm. since two thousand nine. That would be that would be interesting to see. Yeah, it's something that doesn't get talked about a lot for for the reason that you said, which is that. Yeah, every case is specific, but also it's because people don't like to talk of about course, money. It, yeah. it feels weird. And doesn't like to talk it's about weird money. and crass and embarrassing. And, and especially like everybody, nobody wants to be the person to say, I made X last year and yeah. find out everybody's like, wow, you suck. Right. <laughs> That's all you made uh-huh. last year. So yeah. it, it, it's a strange situation, yeah. but it, it, it should be talked about. Yeah. Definitely. It does bring me back around to, you know, the, the things that publishers do and the things that they don't do. And I think that one the of the things that they used to do, the things they used to do. They do now. Yeah. yeah. And that's something that I have noticed lately. I've sort of personally noticed is that with the rise of social media, I sort of feel like some publishers are kind of like, Oh, you that, do it. That's all we need. Yeah. Right. They want the authors to do it now. They want the authors to have a, I hate this word, a platform. And they're encouraging authors to go out there on Twitter and Facebook and all that. And that's great. Authors should do all that stuff. But if if that's become an important part of the publishing marketing plan, yeah. then that means the author is doing work that the publisher used to do and, and should get paid for, for uh-huh. it. You yeah. know? I mean, it's funny because I had a publisher once say to me, oh, you know, if you do X for us for free, we can do this thing for you on social media to all of our followers. And I looked at their follower account and I was like, I have twice as many followers as you. (laughs) Why the hell? You should be paying me to promote you on social media. So that was a little weird and awkward. Um, And yeah, I mean, when you see authors doing all this work on social media... At the behest of the publisher, and and if the publisher is doing less on their end as a result, uh-huh. then yeah, the author should yeah. get some more money. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Chuck Wendig, who is a, a, an author and who I uh, I am hugely jealous of because he got to write a Star Wars novel. Um, <laughs> he did a great blog post. We'll link to it about social media for authors, basically saying, look, yeah, social media is great. You're not going to make a difference on social media. Um, you you know you'll sell maybe tens or hundreds of your book, which is wonderful, but that doesn't move the needle right. in any it's appreciable, noticeable way. Your publisher has the tools to sell thousands or yeah. tens of thousands of your book, and that's what they should be doing. He said, so don't go on social media because you think you're going to sell a lot of books. Yeah, just be cool and fun on social yeah. media, and maybe you'll sell some. But yeah. that's not the point. Yeah, and. And yeah, and, and you know, and if publishers can pull those levers to sell hundreds, you know, thousands or, or tens of thousands of books, then yeah, that's what they should be doing and not relying on authors to right. to move the needle by twenty copies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you work in social media. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. I, I think social media is important, but not necessarily directly for sales. Um, you know, you sending out a tweet about your new your new book does not mean that 10,000 people go out and buy it. Right. But even if you have 10,000 followers, right. but the publisher talking to uh, certain key booksellers and, or certain key librarians and, or sending out newsletters to their millions of subscribers right. or bloggers. Right. Yeah. Those are the things, right. you know? So, um, yeah, I totally agree with that. Let me ask you then, because I'm, I'm genuinely curious. 
if we're not selling books on social media, mm-hmm. if we're just being cool people, hopefully. <laughs> well, because social what, media is what about are, relationships. Right, right. Uh-huh. But what are we accomplishing in that case? And, and I want to give you a specific example yeah. from my experience, but we, I don't want this to be about me, but I'm just using this as an example. You know, one time somebody was saying something on Twitter about, hey, you should follow Barry Liga. He's, you know, really interesting and his books are great, blah, 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 which was very nice. And somebody responded and tagged me in the response and said, oh, I already follow him. I love his stories about his daughter. Oh, wow. And I thought to myself, and you're smiling, but I was sort of, I was like, I was like, wait a minute. Like, okay. Like I, I tweet about Leia, but I'm like, but that doesn't do anything for me. Like the fact that you like my stories about my daughter, Uh like you're not buying my books. You're not spreading the word about me even Uh like you're not helping me go viral. Uh You're just there for the free stories about my kid. So I'm like, free stories about kids. I'm like, like, who is this person? And why, and why, why does this, why should I be happy that I've got that follower? Yeah. You know, now again, not about me, yeah, but yeah, in yeah. general, yeah. in general. Well, it's, it's funny because you use social media differently than I do. You know that. Sure. Um, I like, and I feel like we always talk about Twitter um, particularly, uh, probably because it's my favorite and I think it's where, uh, it's certainly where I'm most active and I think it's where you're most active too, probably, right? Probably, you know, probably Maybe Tumblr, but probably Twitter just because it's easy. Yeah. The, the, honestly, it's a software thing. Like the Twitter uh, clients are just easier to pop open on my phone and use right. really quickly. Yeah. Tumblr is a little clunky yeah. and annoying. Yeah. Facebook, I won't, I refuse to have on my phone because it was tracking me right. when I specifically turned that off. Uh, so yeah, I, yeah. so Twitter so by anyway, default. So we use it a little bit differently. Sure. And so I'm always fascinated by these conversations because, uh, you know, a light bulb goes off in my head. Right. Like, oh, right. Barry uses it differently. Right. Than I but do. again, not about me. Let's no, talk no, about no. authors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but, but it is interesting because maybe there are a lot of people like you and yeah. I'm the anomaly. I don't think that's true. But. I don't think that's true either. <laughs> but anyway, so I go, I, I'm sort of always calling my timeline the people that I follow oh. because I think when Twitter first started, it was like, let me follow everyone who follows me. And you know, um, everything I could find, I would follow. Right. And you know, for the past like year or two, I've been trying to really focus in on what is interesting me and, and news stories and people that I like. And I will constantly come across people and who's maybe who's, Twitter handle I don't recognize or I haven't seen in a while, whatever. So as I'm scrolling through my timeline, I'll open up these people's profiles and I'll discover that they do something totally random in a field unrelated to mine in a different country. I have nothing. I'm not interested in their, in anything they have to offer. But when I look at their timeline of tweets, I'm amused. Right. Or... I'm intrigued by this one tiny aspect of their life. Like there's a, there's a blogger I follow on Twitter and I am not, we are very different people. I don't even think we're aligned politically. Like I'm not interested in much of anything except that she has twin daughters Uh. and she talks about her twins a lot. I am a twin that amuses me and interests me. So I follow her for the twin stories. Right. So it is true that people follow people, including celebrities, including authors, including people with wares to sell just to get, you know, they're following 100% of you because they're really interested in 5% of you. Right. And they cut It's fine. They're fine cutting out the noise of the stuff they're not interested in. So, because I really like for me, Twitter is about relationships and it's about finding interesting content. So yeah, I, 
I, I mean, I certainly follow authors on Twitter whose books I have never purchased. Yeah. And I guess if you, I, I, I would actually be interested myself in doing like an in-depth study, uh, a questionnaire of yeah. what it is about them that I'm, that keeps me following, uh, but not purchasing. But, um, but I do. So, so that doesn't surprise me at all that someone out there would follow you and not buy your books, but because they like your Leia stories. That right. does not surprise me. Right. That was a very long way of saying. But again, again, not about me, about authors in general. Yeah. If people are following authors in general, not to buy their books, but for the free entertainment value, then what is the author getting out of it? In a purely because, mercenary yeah, yeah. In a purely perspective. mercenary perspective, that I think that's a small percentage of people okay. who are not... Like, like, absolutely, there are people out there who are on Twitter, reading things, consuming content, right. and never going to actually make any purchases. Right. Um, but it's, I think as an author, your chances of talking with influentials, not to use a stupid social media buzzword, but right. but there are very key influentials on Twitter in in this industry, librarians, booksellers, sure. et cetera, yep. um, reviewers, whatever. And... It is in an author's best interest to be on Twitter and to be conversing with those people because, I mean, this is what happens when you notice someone in your timeline, their name starts to become uh, something familiar to you. Right. And then when you think a year from now, six months from now, whatever, oh, I'm moderating a panel about XYZ. You know what? About dads who write? Oh, I'm going to talk to Barry Liger. So, yeah. So it's really that... That it's not just about making a sale. Right. It's not a sales tool. It's about it's about expanding your reach mm-hmm. in ways that you could not do otherwise. On your own, yeah. And, you know, I know, for example, I mean, I recently found a use for Twitter and Facebook that I never contemplated before, what? which was that I thought, oh, you know, I've got this book coming out next year and I'm going to have galleys of it. And I would really like to send them to librarians because yeah. I, th- I think librarians are going to like this book. I thought, gosh, you know, I, I don't have a list of librarians, though. And then I thought, yes, I do. A lot of librarians follow me on Twitter and Facebook. And Is I, it so you I just, who thought that? Or was it me who said, hey, why don't you send out a tweet? You know what? I honestly don't <laughs> I remember. It was, was it you? Was it you? Me. Okay. Well, the, you know what? There you go, then. There you go. That's fine. I, I have no problem admitting that. But no, I put out the call and I said, yeah. hey, if you're a librarian and you follow me, let me know. And, you know, I'm not saying that I'm going to just spam of all not. of those people. Or anything like that, but the ones who are enthusiastic and interested, you know, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and everybody wins that way. Yeah, like I exactly. get I get to make sure that people who are interested in this book get to see it and they get to see something before anybody else, yeah. you know, that they're that they're hopefully will enjoy and be interested in. Yeah. And it doesn't cost anybody anything. Yeah. So yeah. Okay, great. I just I wanted to talk about the whole idea of if we're not selling books on social media, what what's it for? Yeah. You know, because, and I realize that sounds mercenary and, you know, it, it, you know, you don't have to live a life where you're like, every relationship has to, has to, everything's a transaction, yeah. but it's a lot of work, yeah. you know, to maintain a, a social media following, uh, as an author. And, and it's, it? It, I think it is. And, and, and it's, it, it, it's a lot of psychological work, if nothing else. Okay. And I think it's just good to know that that there's a purpose other than itself. Right. That's all. Okay. Yeah. yeah so I'm glad. I mean, it, it's just funny because I'm thinking more about, I mean, even Facebook, for example, as a as a person on Facebook, not as a brand page, not as an author page, whatever. Um, you know, 
I, I read something the other day that said Facebook is like high school and Twitter is like the friend you hang out with outside of high school to get away from your high school friends. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, that's so true. I like that. <laughs> but, um, you know, I have lots of friends on Facebook who I do not like anymore. Like yeah. we are, you know, we knew each other when we were eight or 12 or whatever. Um, and I read their pages now and I'm like, oh my God, this person is crazy. But I'm, there's something I'm getting yeah. from still being a Facebook friend with them. And it's, maybe it's that 2% of twin stories or whatever. But, I, and I feel like that, I mean, that's reflected in real life too. Yeah. There are certainly people that we have relationships with and we, I mean, collectively, uh, that you sort of question why you have that relationship, but it's because you're getting something out of it. No matter how tiny, it's right. something that you still consider worthwhile enough to right. put up with the rest right. of the crap. So. Okay. Let's talk about recommended reading. What do, you, what do you got? I just finished, a, shocker, a wonderful book. <laughs> really? Seriously. I've had, as everyone knows, this really great spell of wonderful books. Um, it's A Window Opens by Elizabeth Egan. And it was really funny because the in the very beginning of the book, twice she mentioned Scholastic. Like the character mentioned Scholastic. Really? Really funny. Um, in the context of uh, her kid's book fair. And huh. in the context of a scholastic box arriving at a bookstore. That's got to be weird to, so to read that. It was really funny. Also, I ended up sending a tweet from Scholastic thanking the author. Oh, that's no, it's cool. not a scholastic book. Just sure. because I thought that was really cute. Uh, and then the second thing that happened was, uh, and truth be told, the first sort of maybe 50 pages of the book, I was like, oh, this is fine. I'm not yeah. super invested and it's not the best book I've ever read. Uh, and then there was a chapter where all the characters vacation on Long Beach Island, which is where I'm from. And and then she just sucked just, you in. She did. The author just sort of name dropped didn't all of ma- the old places. Didn't matter if it was good or bad <laughs> at that point. No, but that, uh, you know, honestly, that kept me reading and sure. kept me reading even faster. Um, halfway through the book, I was in love and I, it was a really wonderful book. Partly, I think, because it's about a mom who uh, goes back to work full time ah. after her kids are growing, and uh, she goes to work at a at a book place, not a bookstore, not a publishing company, but some sort of undefined book place that is still trying to figure out its its place in the sphere. And it's 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 very funny. It's very smart and reflective of a lot of what's going on with media companies today. And, um, anyway, so I just really, really not related necessarily because identify. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I really loved it. I thought it was very touching and, um, I really liked it. It was her debut book too. Great. Yeah. Great. How about you? So I am still reading a lot of my mentees stuff, Okay. but I did have time to read something. It was not a book. It was a magazine article, sort of lengthy, and it was from a year ago. I had put it, I had grabbed it off the web and put it in a pocket to read later. And I finally read it later. You carried that around in your pocket for an entire year? I carried it around in my pocket <laughs> for an entire year. And it was, uh, it was The Case for Reparations by oh, Tennessee oh, Coates. I haven't read that yet. Oh. And it was really good. Yeah. It was really good. And I just think, I think people should read it. And it's funny because, spoiler alert, I, I don't think he makes a case for reparations. And he's not trying to. He sort of says by the end that that we just need to at least talk about it. Mm. And obviously he thinks the debate would come down one way yeah. as opposed to another, but it's really less a case for reparations and more a case for talking about reparations. Interesting. 
because, in all fairness, we haven't talked about no, it as no. a country. And that, that's one of the big points that he makes. So it was, it was interesting. Nice. Um, you know, it, it was not what I thought it was going to be. And I enjoyed reading it. Yeah. So, yeah, right. I, I recommend that. And we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Sounds good. All right. So that is it for us this week. Again, we're off next week, but we will be back the week after that. Morgan will be in charge. Visit us at writinginreallife.com. Follow us on Twitter at WIRL Podcast. And uh, rate us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on iTunes. We love it when you do that. And we will see you in two weeks. Thanks. Thanks, everyone.